Welcome to You're Not Crazy, where we talk about mental health matters and normalize talking about mental health. We will have licensed clinicians come in to talk about their specialties and the backside of therapy, with conversations on phrases people use and why they are controversial, attachment styles, burnout, sex and intimacy issues, toxic relationships, trauma, and so much more. Follow us to get the inside scoop on all the topics people are too afraid to talk about. I'm your host, Laura Huckamacki, and I am the Director of Corporate Development for Michigan Psychological Care. Uploads will be coming every Monday. Let's dig in. Today's episode will be on toxic-slash-abusive relationships and sexual abuse with the Safe Center of Clinton and Shiawassee County in Michigan. Our guest, Hannah Gottschalk, the Executive Director, will be joining us. First, we're going to go over toxic relationships and abusive relationships before asking Hannah some questions. This information was found on Healthline.com, written by Andy Lamoth and Crystal Raypole. So it's on, is your relationship toxic? What to look for? This says, your relationship may be toxic if it's characterized by behaviors that make you feel unhappy, including disrespect, dishonesty, controlling behavior, or a lack of support. So I'm basically just reading off from their website here. If you want to read the whole document, go ahead and do so. I will link it in our notes section, Um, but I am going to read this off. So I will hit the majority of the information and throw a little bit of extra in there. So what is a toxic relationship? In a healthy relationship, everything just kind of works. Sure, you might disagree from time to time or come upon bumps in the road, but you generally make decisions together openly and discuss any problems that may arise. Toxic relationships are another story. In toxic relationships, you might consistently feel drained or unhappy after spending time with your partner. According to the relationship therapist Jor L. Caraballo, which can suggest that some of these things need to change. Maybe the relationship no longer feels at all enjoyable, though you still love your partner. But for some reason, you always seem to rub each other the wrong way or can't seem to stop arguing over minor issues. You might even dread the thought of seeing them instead of looking forward to it as you did in the past. So what are the signs of a toxic relationship? Depending on the nature of a relationship, signs of toxicity can be subtle or highly obvious. When you're in a toxic relationship, you might not always find it easy to notice the red flags popping up. All the same, you could notice some of these signs in yourself, your partner, or the relationship itself. So number one is lack of support. In a short, the time you spend together no longer feels positive. You don't feel supported or encouraged, and you can't trust them to show up for you. Instead, you might get the impression that your needs and interests don't matter, that they only care about what they want. Sometimes it feels like a competition. Two, toxic communication. Instead of kindness and mutual respect, most of your conversations are filled with sarcasm or criticism and fueled by contempt. Three, envy or jealousy. While it's perfectly fine to experience a little envy from time to time, Caraballo explains it can become an issue if your envy keeps you from thinking positively about your partner's successes. So I'm going to throw in a little information here. Let's say you got a promotion at work, but it's going to take you to different locations. Your partner may be mad about this rather than happy for you because you're going to be traveling more. Controlling behaviors number four. Does your partner ask where you are all the time? The same goes for jealousy. Yes, it's a perfectly natural human emotion, but when it leads to constant suspicion and mistrust, it can quickly begin to erode your relationship. Four, controlling behaviors. Does your partner ask where you are all the time? 
Maybe they become annoyed or irritated when you don't immediately answer texts or text you again and again and again and again until you do. Do they control what you wear, who you see, where you go, even what you're eating or what you do with your money, etc.? These behaviors might stem from jealousy or lack of trust, but they can also suggest a need for control, both of which can contribute to relationship toxicity. In some cases, these attempts at control can suggest abuse. More on this later. Number five, resentment. Holding on to grudges and letting them fester chips away at intimacy. Number six, dishonesty. You find yourself constantly making up lies, hiding or being nervous to discuss your whereabouts or who you meet up with, whether that's because you want to avoid spending time with your partner or because you'll worry how they'll react if you tell them the truth. Seven, patterns of disrespect. Being chronically late, casually forgetting, quote unquote forgetting, events and other behaviors that show disrespect for your time and are a red flag. Keep in mind that some people may truly struggle with making and keeping plans on time, time management, etc., so it may help to have a conversation about this behavior. If it's not intentional, you might notice some improvement, but after you explain why it bothers you. But if they make your exciting events nothing, yeah, bad. So this would be like if you are going to go to a ball and you're super excited about it, and they're late to it or as soon as you're getting ready to go they make it so you don't even want to go anymore it doesn't seem exciting it can't be fun they're telling you how boring it's going to be how terrible it's going to be that kind of a thing this is more than just that though it's all disrespect so are they calling you mean names etc it is disrespect as a whole number eight negative financial behaviors so sharing finances with a partner often involves some level of agreement about how you'll spend or save your money that said, it's not necessarily toxic if one person chooses to spend money on items that the other person doesn't approve of. I love makeup, though my partner lets me buy all the makeup I want. For example, if they didn't, it wouldn't necessarily be toxic. It might just be a money management thing, but if they won't let you buy or do anything, then yeah, maybe that may be toxic or abusive. It can be toxic, though, if you've come to an agreement about your finances and one partner consistently disrespects that agreement, whether by purchasing a big-ticket item or withdrawing large sums of money, or not allowing you to do so. Number nine, constant stress. Ordinary life challenges that come up, a family member's illness, job loss, etc., can create some tension in your relationship, of course, but finding this ongoing stress can take a toll on physical and mental health and you might frequently feel miserable, mentally and physically exhausted, or generally unwell. Number 10, ignoring your needs. Going along with whatever your partner wants to do, even when it goes against your wishes or comfort level, is a sure sign of toxicity. Say they planned a vacation that will take you out of town on your mom's birthday, but when they asked what dates were convenient for you, you emphasized that any dates were fine as long as you didn't miss your mom's birthday on the 17th but then they planned it for your mom's birthday. You don't want to point this out since you don't want to start a fight, so you just say, great, I'm so excited. Number 11, lost relationships. You stop spending time with friends and family either to avoid conflict with your partner or to get around having to explain what's happening in your relationship. Alternatively, you might find that dealing with your partner or worrying about your relationship occupies much of your free time. Number 12, lack of self-care. In a toxic relationship, you might let go of your usual self-care habits. You might withdraw from hobbies you once loved, neglect your health, and sacrifice your free time. 
This might happen because you don't have the energy for these activities or because your partner disapproves when you do your own thing. So going to the gym, doing your skincare, taking care of anything for yourself, essentially. Number 13, hoping for change. You might stay in the relationship because you remember how fun you had in the beginning. Maybe you think that if you just change yourself and your actions, they'll change as well. That's not the case. Number 14, walking on eggshells. You worry that bringing up problems, you'll provoke extreme tension, so you'll become conflict avoidant and keep any issues to yourself. So after we've got all that, you might be thinking, is it possible to fix a toxic relationships? And many people assume that toxic relationships are doomed, but that isn't always the case. Oftentimes, yes, but not always. The deciding factor, both partners must want to change. If only one partner is invested in creating a healthy pattern, there is unfortunately little likelihood that the change will occur. But a few signs that you might be able to work things out is acceptance of responsibility. To put it in another way, both partners should accept their part in contributing to the toxicity from resentment to jealousy, not speaking about concerns and disappointments, etc. Willingness to invest. Are both you and your partner both willing to invest in making the relationship better? Shift from blaming to understanding. If you're both able to steer the conversation away from blaming and more towards understanding and learning, there may be a path forward. Openness to outside help. So seeking maybe couples therapy, and we have that at Michigan Psychological Care. We do individual, group, family, couples counseling, in person, virtually. So maybe reach out to a counselor here and see if we can help you out. So how can you move forward? Given that most toxic relationships often occur as a result of long-standing issues in the current relationship or as a result of unaddressed issues from prior relationships, these steps can help you turn around. Don't dwell on the past. View your partner with compassion. So what this means is when you find yourself wanting to blame your partner for all the problems in the relationship, try taking a step back and looking at the potential motivators behind their behavior. Have they recently gone through a hard time at work? had some family drama weighing heavily on their mind, lost their job, etc. Start therapy. Like we said, Michigan Psychological Care can help, but definitely look into this even if it's not with MPC. Find support. So talking to a close friend, joining a local support group, etc. Practice healthy communication. Pay close attention to how you talk to each other as you mend things. Be gentle with one another. And try avoiding sarcasm and mild jabs. Be accountable. Both partners must acknowledge their part in fostering the toxicity. Heal individually. Determine what you need from the relationship and where your boundaries lie. Hold space for each other's change. That being said, let's move into abuse versus toxicity. Toxicity in a relationship can take many forms, including emotional or verbal abuse. Still, it's not always possible to draw a clear line between toxicity and abuse. Toxic relationships are unhealthy, but they're not necessarily abusive. Sometimes toxic behavior isn't intentional, though, of course, that doesn't make it any less hurtful. Keep in mind, too, that many unhealthy relationships involve toxic behavior from both partners, even when neither partner behaves in an abusive way. Abuse, on the other hand, stems from a decision to hold power over someone else and control their behavior. This is according to the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Since abuse often happens gradually in subtle ways, you might not always recognize it easily, especially if the relationship has been toxic for some time. 
That's why if you recognize any of the following signs of physical or emotional abuse, a good next step involves working with a therapist or domestic violence advocate, such as a safe center, to create a plan to safely leave the relationship. You'll find some helpful information later when we talk with Hannah, the executive director of Safe Center. So, some of these signs are diminished self-worth. Your partner blames you for everything that goes wrong and makes you feel as though you can't do anything right. They may do this by patronizing, dismissing, or embarrassing you in public. They might make fun of you, and the ongoing result would be you end up feeling small, confused, shamed, and often exhausted. That was said by Manly. Chronic stress, anxiety, or doubt. It's typical to have periods of frustration with your partner or doubt about your time together, but you shouldn't spend significant amount of time worrying about the relationship or your safety. An abusive partner might say things that make you doubt the security of your relationship or even your self-worth. So you're lucky I'm with you. I could have anyone. If you don't want to have sex with me, I'll find someone else who will. Even just saying something that makes it seem like they'll leave you're too good for me, I'm going to like let you go or this just isn't working even if you just had a great day sometimes yeah it might not be working but constantly being wishy-washy about the state of the relationship is not good separation from friends and family sometimes dealing with a toxic relationship can lead you to withdraw from friends and family but an abusive partner may forcefully distance you from your support network they might snatch your phone while you're talking answer it for you and say you're busy or make such a fuss when you say you have plans that you end up canceling they may also convince you that your loved ones don't want to hear from you anyways. Interference with work or school. An abusive partner may prevent you from seeking employment or studying in order to isolate and control you. They may also attempt to humiliate you at your workplace or school by causing a scene, talking to your boss or teachers, or lying to your coworkers and classmates. They also might try to stop you from going in. Kind of like we said earlier, if you got that raise and you know you have to drive a lot more for work, they may tell you that you cannot drive for work anymore. Fear and intimidation. An abusive partner might explode with rage or use intimidation tactics, such as slamming their fists into the wall or not allowing you to leave the house during a fight. Name-calling and put-downs. Insults aimed to humiliate and belittle your interests, appearance, or accomplishments all counted as verbal abuse. Someone using verbal abuse tactics might say things like, you're worthless, you can't do anything right, no one else could ever love you, why do you do that with your makeup, it's weird or ugly, you're ugly just in general all of those things financial restriction so financial abuse tactics involve controlling the money that comes in preventing you from having your own bank account restricting access to credit cards and giving you a daily allowance and making you ask for more gaslighting gaslighting is a manipulation technique that makes you question your own feelings instincts and sanity someone trying to gaslight you might insist that something you remember never happened tell you that they never said something when you clearly remember it, accuse you of being the one with anger and control issues. Then there's threats of self-harm. Threatening to hurt themselves in order to pressure you into doing something is a manipulation tactic. Suicide threats is also a thing. Physical violence. Threats and verbal insult can escalate to physical violence. If your partner is pushing, shoving, or hitting you, it's a clear sign that the relationship has become dangerous and you need to seek help. So how do you leave a toxic relationship? You can get support from a therapist or domestic violence advocate, open up to loved ones, bring a friend, change your phone number, take care of yourself. So all of this being said, we are going to introduce somebody who is going to help us with a lot of this information. So how to leave. 
Actually, we're going to take this as a perfect spot to introduce Hannah and bring her in. So Hannah, the executive director of Safe Center. Hi, Hannah. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good. We're so happy to have you on and utilizing your resources and brain for this podcast. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So we're going to start with an introduction. So if you want to do a little bit about who you are, what's your name, background, position, hobbies, etc. Sure. My name is Hannah Gotchok, and I serve as the Executive Director of Safe Center Domestic and Sexual Violence Services of Clinton and Shiawassee Counties. I've been the Executive Director here well for about four years, which is wild. I can't believe uh, how fast time has been flying, uh, but I've been involved with the organization for about 12 years now, which is also wild to me. Um, I previously worked for the organization as an advocate and therapist and then stepped away for a little while but served as a board member and then came back in 2019 as um, the executive director. I have over a decade of uh, experience in the nonprofit setting and working with victim services uh, with domestic violence, sexual assault, and human trafficking. So. That's really my passion. Uh, it was easy to come back to working to Safe Center because I love serving my community. In terms of my hobbies, I have uh, four wild dogs, but they're also very lovable. Been married to my husband, Ken, for 16 years, and uh, we love being outside, and we live out in the country, and we just enjoy traveling and living the good life. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me. You are so incredibly impressive. Um, one from a standpoint of, I also have four dogs. So doing a professional career on top of having four dogs, that's impressive. But your actual <laughs> position is so incredible and they're very lucky to have you. Oh, thank you so much. Of course. So we're going to get started with some, um, pretty deep questions here. I am going to throw out a quick trigger warning. Um, so we're going to talk about sexual abuse. We're going to talk about probably a little bit of rape and uh, domestic violence. So if any of that is going to trigger you, then I would hop off of this episode. But Hannah, what is the Safe Center and what do you do exactly at the Safe Center? Yes. So Safe Center um, is the primary domestic and sexual violence agency that serves Clinton, Shiawassee counties. We serve just victims and survivors of domestic violence. We do not serve perpetrators or batterers or assailants of domestic violence. We are only funded to serve those who have experienced domestic and sexual violence as victims or survivors. We provide a variety of services. We have a 24-hour crisis hotline. We have a 24-7, 365 emergency shelter. We have 24-7-365 on-call emergency response that is available at the hospital, police department, or another safe location. We have advocacy and educational counseling for individuals or group support. We provide therapy, supportive services. We also have legal advocacy, which includes personal protection orders and accompanying people to court. We also provide basic needs such as food, clothing, and transportation assistance. We also have one of the largest transitional supportive housing programs in the state. We are funded to provide 20 scattered site housing um, units to victims across the two county area. And then we actually have on site in Owasso for housing units as well. So that's just tremendous as our state faces uh, 
a housing crisis coming out of the pandemic. And then we do community education and outreach across uh, the counties and then also um, across the state. And then systems and social change advocacy as well, ensuring that we are being a voice for those who haven't found those yet and advocating in various levels of, you know, the government and with our legislators and even just our local municipalities and things of that nature too. So we are very busy, um, very much on the front lines, but involved at, at all levels of the systems. That is incredible. You have just about everything, which kind of leads me into my next question. You have everything. Do you have enough employees? Do you take volunteers, <laughs> interns? How can we help you out? Yeah, we are a small but mighty team. So we do all of those services, like I said, 24-7-365. So you call us on Christmas, we're available. You call us on New Year's, we're available, that type of a thing. There's actually only 16 of us here, half about which are full-time, half of which are part-time. Um, so are there enough of us? Probably not, um, but we get it done. Um, but in, in regards to volunteers or interns, we do accept volunteers and interns. We actually have had a few interns recently. So if that's something that someone's interested in, they are certainly welcome to contact us and we can see what opportunities would fit them. Awesome. And how would they contact you? Yeah, I think the best way to contact us is just by giving us a call. They can call our main office number, which is 989-723-9716. And uh, usually our program director is the one who spearheads that conversation and organizing all of that. Her name is Kristen Gilpin, and she can set that up for anybody who's interested. Awesome. I'm uh, definitely going to be volunteering. I met with one of your employees at the Clinton County RESA event recently where we were working with the high school students for um, educational and professional experience. So I met with her and I was like, yeah, do you guys take interns? And she said, oh my gosh, yes. And I said, this lines up perfectly with what I want to do. And so I'll definitely be stopping in to um, do some volunteering. If anybody else listening in wants to do volunteering or interning, I would definitely reach out. This is the best place to do some of that volunteer work. Yeah, absolutely. We would love to have anyone who's interested in volunteering. We do uh, background checks with all of our volunteers, just so folks know that up front. Given the nature of the work that we do, safety is our number one priority. So we just want to make sure that anyone coming through our doors has a safe background and is, you know, prepared to provide the type of services that we do here. That's awesome. So do you train the volunteers and interns in what they need to do? And what would that look like? Yes, we do. So because our work is very much in the trauma field, we want to ensure that any training we provide is trauma-informed and also prepares folks to respond to trauma as well. So we provide, of course, an overview of what we do here at the agency, what our agency entails, our mission, vision, values, uh, our services, our programs, as well as shadowing some of the staff to the best extent that we can um, so that they have a feel for what those services look like on the day to day. Um, and then depending on what the job entails that they would be providing or service that they would pro be providing as a volunteer intern, they would be trained in that specific task or service. That's awesome. So then let's get into a little bit about uh, the types of situations you may run across in there. Will you explain what domestic violence is and what sexual abuse is since you work so closely with that? 
Sure. So domestic violence or intimate partner violence, uh, which is what we primarily work for, or work with, I should say, can be defined as a pattern of behavior in any relationship that is used to gain or maintain power and control over an intimate partner. So in this type of uh, dynamic, we're really looking at power and control. And abuse or domestic violence can be physical, sexual, emotional, economic, or psychological. Um, Even, like I said, financial, a lot of people don't think about some of those things. But this includes any behaviors that can frighten, intimidate, terrorize, manipulate, hurt, humiliate, blame, injure, or wound someone. And um, this is scary stuff, and it happens all the time. It's often happening behind closed doors, and we would never know it. Sexual violence or sexual assault, on the other hand, uh, this includes words and actions of a sexual nature against a person's will and without their consent. Uh, a, a person may use force, threats, manipulation, or, or coercion to commit sexual violence. So forms of sexual violence include rape or sexual assault, child sexual assault and incest, sexual assault by a person's spouse or partner, unwanted sexual contact and touching, sexual harassment, sexual exploitation and trafficking, exposing one's self to another without consent, watching someone engage in private acts without their knowledge or permission, or non-consensual image sharing. So there are levels of power and control within sexual violence as well. Um, but yeah, these these two things are very much happening, uh, very much alive and well in our communities, unfortunately, but that's why Safe Center is here. Exactly. You would never think that it's happening in the areas around you, but it is. And oftentimes you don't realize it because it's behind closed doors, like you said. So uh, it could even be closer than you think. Some of your family, friends, etc. may be experiencing some of these things and you just don't know. So it is good to have these resources and to readily share these resources so that people can get the help that they need. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, we're here for anybody. You know, that one of our big uh, core values here, it's our number one core value is hope. And we want people to know that there is hope available to them that they've experienced this. When you come to Safe Center as a self-disclosed uh, victim or survivor of di- uh, domestic or sexual violence, you know, we will believe you. Uh, where you may not have experienced belief when you've told somebody or disclosed previously, we will believe you and we are here for you. That's awesome. And I think that's what a lot of people really need is they are worried that people won't believe them. Oftentimes, especially if it's close family, friends, you are completely involved with this person and have been for quite some time. It may be scary or in your head unbelievable to tell people what's going on because they think they know this person. And oftentimes it's behind closed doors. They don't know what happens. And so sometimes they don't believe you. And it's good to have that resource who will believe you, will believe what you're saying and and what has happened. Yep, absolutely. So, Hannah, what is the difference between toxic relationships and abusive relationships? We kind of went over this earlier uh, before you hopped on, but if you could give your take on that, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, you know, I think when a toxic relationship, it doesn't necessarily mean that there is abuse within that relationship. It certainly could be both and abusive but there could just be a level of toxicity in a relationship where there's not abuse present 
I think that a toxic relationship could be one where it's just not healthy for one or more of the people who are in that relationship. And that's often because boundaries are not being honored. And then there isn't a level of mutual respect in that relationship as well, to the point that it has become toxic for the individuals in that relationship. Uh, when you're talking about abusive relationships, again, you're going back to that power and control where you have one person who is very much um, being abusive, being an aggressor, and really choosing to inflict harm and wound the victim or the person who is experiencing the violence. So you just said power and control. There is something on your website that is a power and control wheel. Could you hit that a little bit? Yes. So we have a tool that is referred to as the power and control wheel. This is used across all of the providers in the domestic and sexual violence movement. Um, it's a it's an incredible tool. It really gives you a visual picture. You can Google it for those listening who have never made, seen it before. It's a very nice visual tool of what domestic and sexual violence looks like. Sometimes when we're educating folks out in the community or even doing one-on-one -on -one sessions or group sessions with folks, we'll be talking about these things and they may think, well, I've never experienced this. And that's because oftentimes we think of physical violence as domestic violence. And, and that's what comes to mind quite frequently. And that's completely understandable because it is. What we often don't think about, though, are some of those other types of violence that I had mentioned briefly before. Um, so what the power and control wheel does is it kind of provides you this nice visual picture and sums up what the other types of violence are. So at the center of the wheel, you have power and control. And then you have different spokes that go off of this wheel, broken out into essentially pie pieces. And so then you have um, using emotional abuse as one pie piece. Another is using isolation. Then you have minimizing, denying, and blaming. Another one is using children, uh, using male privilege, using economic abuse, and then using coercion and threats and using intimidation. And then around the entire wheel, you have physical violence and sexual violence because that can be co-occurring or, or multiplying throughout all of these different forms of abuse. Uh, and there's been many additional wheels created beyond the power control wheel. Uh, there's a healthy relationships wheel. There's a quality wheel. There's all other types of wheels that have been created since uh, the power control wheel. But when we're specifically looking at domestic violence, this is a great tool to use. And many times the light bulb will come on for folks where they'll go, oh my gosh, I am experiencing domestic violence, like emotional abuse. This is happening all the time. They're making me feel like I'm crazy. They're playing mind games with me. They're humiliating me or the coercion and threats, you know, they're, they're threatening me. They're threatening to leave me or threatening to commit suicide. I mean, that's a form of domestic violence. Um, so there's, this just includes all these little things in here that we often don't think about as domestic violence, but when we get down to the nitty gritty of it really is domestic abuse. Exactly. So some of which that you've said emotional abuse here on your wheel is putting them down, making them feel bad about themselves, calling them names, making them think they're crazy, playing mind games, humiliating them, making them feel guilty. 
isolation would be controlling what they do, who they see and talk to, what they read, where they go, limiting the outside involvement, using jealousy to justify actions. And then obviously there's the others that you have also mentioned. And I really suggest people go and look up this power and control wheel and read through all of these because like you said, sometimes you don't realize you're in the situation until you read it or see it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great tool. And most of the advocates in our, in our uh, office have the power control wheel on their magnet boards in their offices and uh, have copies right in their office available to anyone who wants them. And, you know, if you ever want a copy, you're welcome to stop by and grab one. We can email somebody a copy of it if they don't have access to a printer and need a copy. I mean, this is a great resource. So we always have copies of this available. Definitely. Like you said, a great resource. Another one that you have on your website is red flags in relationships. Will you hit some of that? Yeah. So warning signs of abuse. There's there's quite a few. I, I think probably a lot of us could think of, of some, but, you know, pushing for quick involvement, you know, coming on strong in a relationship, uh, moving really fast in a relationship can be de- a definite red flag. Um, jealousy, being very possessive, somebody who's calling or texting constantly, visiting unexpectedly, uh, preventing you from going other places because all they want is your time and attention, red flag, Um, controlling behavior, of course, anything that's exerting power and control over you, especially from the get-go is a major red flag. Um, Unrealistic expectations, you know, expecting you to be perfect and meet every need um, you're a human being. You're not perfect. Um, they're not perfect. So that's an unrealistic expectation. Isolation as well. Cutting you off from your support system. Accusing you of causing trouble or being around people who are causing trouble and then trying to isolate you from them. That's a major red flag. Blaming others for their problems or mistakes. Never taking accountability or responsibility for things that they've done. You know, that that's a red flag in that it's like that they're not going to take ownership or responsibility when they make mistakes obviously and especially if they're an abuser i mean they're never going to take responsibility for what they've done that's a that's a landmark of of abusive behavior um making others responsible for his or her feelings you know i abuse you because you hurt my feelings you know so i'm justified in doing what i do which is you know, in saying that's that's not a normal <laughs> way of thinking at all. Um, hypersensitivity, getting easily insulted, claiming hurt feelings when they're really bad, cruelty to animals or children. This is a huge, huge red flag. We see a lot of this pattern where they are either um, hurting animals or killing animals or hurting children. Um, and then that escalates over time to where they're then hurting their partner. Uh, and a lot of times it's cruelty to animals or children that will cause a, a victim to leave. You know, it will ultimately come to that, which is what will cause them to leave. Um, but yeah, that's a huge, huge red flag. Um, use of force during sex. If they're not, um, you know, honoring consent, if they're or not consent, you know, if you're saying no and they're still going ahead with having sex uh, with you, that's that's rape. Um, so no means no. And if they don't honor that, that's a major problem. Uh, verbal abuse, of course, having rigid rules, um, you know, expecting you to serve, obey and remain at home at all times or 
or to their demands. Some mood swings, I would say, you know, being very kind one minute, then being violent in the next minute. Having a past battering history, um, you know, we're big proponents of batterers intervention here versus anger management. Uh, you know, really for somebody to change, they're going to have to have gone through a pretty intensive process here. Um, but if they have been uh, abusive in the past, chances are they're going to be abusive in the future. And then threats of violence, you know, constantly threatening to take, you know, uh, abusive actions, especially physical actions is probably an indicator that they will be physically abusive. And like I said, controlling behaviors like social media or technology, uh, very, very concerning. So there's, there's all types of red flags out there. Um, don't hesitate to talk those through with somebody if you're concerned. People often will call it a crisis line and say, I just started a relationship with somebody and I have a concern, you know, what do you think? And they'll, they'll do so anonymously and we'll have that conversation with them and say, you know, these are red flags and here's some ways to maybe stay safe or to consider breaking that relationship off. So folks want to call us about that, they're welcome to do so too. It's great that you have those resources where people can call in the beginning, middle, end of relationships, anywhere in between, just so they know what's going on and that they have resources and support behind them. Your okay. your red flags sheet on your website has 15 different red flags, I believe, um, but there definitely is more than that. Like you said, you have abuse of drugs and alcohol, pressure for sex, negative attitude about gender roles, so thinking that women are inferior or sex objects or housekeepers and that males are supposed to provide sole financial report, treating you differently around people, attracted to your vulnerability. I want to hit that one. So that would be, are you much younger than them and do they like how you look up to them? Have you had a recent traumatic experience or past abusive relationship and they position themselves as your rescuer or protector does that happen a lot it does it does and it often comes with like moving too fast too we find so an abuser will sort of move in there might have just been a breakup in a relationship and then the abuser tries to swoop in and kind of sweep the person off their feet and say, you know what, I'm going to take care of you. I would never treat you like that. I'm going to make sure you have everything that you need. And, you know, it starts out very charming, very loving, very sweet. And then over time, these various red flags, many of which we've already talked about, start to show themselves. Uh, because that person's vulnerable. You know, their their heart's been broken. Uh, they, they want to believe that they're, you know, worthy of love, that they that they can have love again, that they can have respect, that they won't, won't be treated that way, you know, in the future. And then, you know, somebody swoops in and kind of says, yeah, I can give you all those things. And so that gap is filled, but then after some trust is shown and that relationship starts to develop um, and sort of the, the, the hook, you know, the, the beaded hook has been caught, so to speak, um, then things take a turn. And so we do see that quite frequently. So you've mentioned a couple times now consent and no means no. 
Will you share a little bit on that? I know at Albion College, we had to take a course or a class or certification, something um, where we learn no means no, consent, all of that when we first got into the school. And then we also had to redo it. I don't remember if it was every year, but periodically we had to redo that course. Um, So will you hit consent a little bit? Yeah, so I know I, I sort of made it sound simple as though it's just a no means no, yes means yes, but consent does go beyond that. Consent is essentially an ongoing mutual agreement between partners about what they want to experience. And I think that that can evolve and change over time based on where the partners are at in their relationship. Um, so it you know, it, consent can mean one thing today, but consent may mean another thing tomorrow. And that's important to to recognize. And I think partners need to ensure that they are continually talking about what is okay and not okay in a relationship. So those boundaries need to be talked about on a regular basis and established and ensure that those boundaries are maintained throughout the course of the relationship. And at, at the point that a boundary is crossed is the point at which consent has been violated. And so we need to be mindful of what those boundaries are and to ensure that we are on the same page about consent and our boundaries. So not that I don't know the answer to this, but some people may want a little information on relationships. So a lot of people think just because you're in a relationship with somebody, you're married to someone, you're dating someone, that automatically gives you the right to have sex with them. So will you explain how rape can definitely be a thing in relationships and marriages? Oh, yeah. So this is uh, this is a big one. I mean, quite, quite simply, I think, you know, obviously when... Um, two people are engaged in a romantic relationship and things are sexual, you know, things can escalate very quickly. Um, but I think it's important to recognize what we're, what we're communicating with each other. It's important to check in with one another and say, are you comfortable? Do you want to slow down? Do I go any further? Is this okay? I think being in tune with each other's body language and things like that is very, very, very important. Where it crosses over into rape is when all the body language and the verbal language is everything is saying no and the person crosses that line and does it anyway. And it can be women and it can be men who perpetrate. It's not just men and it's not just women, it's both. Um, So we need to be careful about not stereotyping either. Um, But you know, we, we just have to continue to, to check in with each other. And we have to recognize that this very much does happen with the context of intimate partner relationships, marriages, uh, dating relationships. Um, it can happen in the course of a friendship, but it, it can also happen in, in stranger cases as well. I love that you said it can be men and women because I actually have an instance where one of my friends from college had been sexually assaulted and raped and didn't think that he could do anything about that because he was a man. And he came to me expressing these concerns and I was baffled by the fact that he didn't think that it was considered the same thing or that he could do anything about it or that anyone would think that he was telling the truth or even if he was telling the truth that it was valid because a lot of people think men are just always willing and that's not the case right 
Right. Yes. And and it's unfortunate that our society has made it often shameful or or make it feel shameful for men to come forward and report or to feel like they can't come forward and report. But we do serve men on a regular basis and we want men to know that, you know, you you are welcome here um, and there is a space for you here and we believe you. We know that it happens and that women can be perpetrators just as much as Mark can as well. So, I mean, no one, no one is immune to being a victim or a survivor of domestic violence or sexual assault. It can happen to anyone, anywhere, at any time. Unfortunately, right? Yes, yes, yes. So the next question we have here kind of goes hand in hand with all of this. What do you need to expect in the nurses' exams once you do provide those at your location? Do you go out for somewhere and what should they expect? Yeah, so sexual assault nurse exams are also called SANES for short, S-A-N-E. Um, those take place at a hospital, at least in our community. Uh, folks can either do that at Memorial Healthcare here in Owasso, or they can go to Sparrow and Lansing. Um, those are two locations that offer them. Um, so typically what happens is folks will present to like the emergency room and express that they've been sexually assaulted. They are then taken to a private location where then a uh, sexually assault assault nurse exam, I'm sorry, a sexual assault nurse examiner will come in and do that exam on their behalf. Um, That process can take upwards of, um, you know, an hour to maybe eight hours, depending on the nature of the assault and how bad the assault was. Um, It just depends. Um, An advocate is always dispatched from our location um, if the assault took place in like Clinton or Shiawassee County, we will attend that nurse exam if the uh, patient or victim would like us to attend that exam with them. And then we provide the advocacy and the supportive services while the nurse does the full forensic exam. So what their job is to do is, of course, treat, treat the person medically, ensure that they're okay medically, but then also collect any evidence from the assault. So if that person would like to go forward with prosecution in the the future, all that evidence is collected. Awesome. That's great to know. So what can Michigan Psychological Care do to help and what can the community do to help? Yeah, I think the big thing is being aware, of course, that this is happening. Uh, be aware that domestic violence and sexual assault is something that happens in our local community, that you very well may run into people who have experienced this in our community or through your services. Um, if someone does disclose to you, listen and believe them. Uh, that is so crucial to somebody's healing journey. Also, validate their feelings, emotions, and concerns. You know, help them to know, yes, this this happened, recognize that it happened. Um, and let them know that it's okay, there's help available for them. And point them to Safe Center, or if they're not from the area, point them to a place that is close to their area, similar to Safe Center, where they can get that expert um, assistance and help and advice to take care of themselves. Self-care, healing, and their ultimate well-being and safety has been goal. Awesome. How would somebody leave a toxic relationship? And do you guys have resources for that? 
Yes. So in terms of leaving a relationship, you know, the most dangerous time for a victim is when they're getting ready to leave a relationship. In fact, the research says that it takes about seven times for somebody to actually leave a relationship. Uh, one of the big things that we do here at Safe Center are unique uh, safety plans. So that is always the first thing that we're going to talk about is safety planning. In order to leave, we recommend a safety plan. Having all of your personal belongings that you want to take with you, your uh, vital documents. Uh, of course, if you have children, what's that going to require? Your support systems in place, a location secured, you know, all those types of things uh, need to be considered. Obviously, in some cases, you may not have time to consider those things, but to the best extent possible, we want to do a safety plan and plan ahead for you leaving so that we can ensure it's done safely and conscientiously so that you have everything you need to flee that situation. So then what would you say to someone who needs help but can't do it themselves if they can't get themselves to leave? Yeah, so it takes a lot of courage. You know, I have I have a lot of compassion and a lot of empathy for someone who is really on the fence about doing that and feels like they can't. You know, I would say it's okay. It's okay to be where you're at. Um, if it's not time yet, it's not time yet. You will know when it's time. Um, but don't hesitate to reach out to maybe somebody in your circle and let them know what's going on. Give them a hint, give them a safe word if you need to call them when it is time. They're not quite ready to walk in the doors of Safe Center or give Safe Center a call. You know, just let somebody in your circle know if that's possible or the school know or somebody know so that there's the ability for that outside interaction should you need it at some point. Um, safety is so important. These situations often escalate, you know, and the big thing we want to avoid is the death of somebody, the loss of life. You know, sadly, that's where a lot of these things lead um and we want to prevent that as much as we can so i would say if there's just someone you can tell that you can trust with this information reach out and at least tell them um and it's okay if you're not ready to leave yet that's okay that 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 takes a bold risk uh but just please tell somebody close to you and then think about it um, and maybe just start taking a few small steps here and there. And when you're ready, we'll be here for you. Exactly. You'll be there. You'll have somebody in your circle. Other resources you could reach out to besides Safe Center, which is a great resource, um, is the Domestic Violence Hotline. A place called Day One, it's a nonprofit to end domestic violence with education, support, legal advocacy, and leadership. It's very similar to you, um, but if you are in Clinton or Shiawassee, definitely seek out the Safe Center because they have resources for you. Do you have any other resources for listeners? Um, I mean, you know, we partner very much so with our local child advocacy center, uh, which is the voice for Clinton County's children. That's right there in uh, Clinton County. They're a wonderful resource. Um, if you're looking for specifically with children who've been 
um, sexually abused or have experienced uh, trauma of any kind, they're a wonderful resource right in the community. And we partner with them on a regular basis. So I highly recommend looking um, to them for additional support as well. Perfect. So do you have any last things to say? And will you go over how people can reach you again? Yeah, just a reminder, April is uh, Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Uh, Please look up uh, the Safe Center on our Facebook page. We have a lot of things happening over the course of April. You'll see a lot of folks, including our whole team, wearing the color teal because that is the color that represents sexual assault awareness. In October, we celebrate and honor uh, domestic violence survivors and that awareness month and the color for that is purple. Um, But yes, we are very busy all month long. Um, You'll very quickly realize when you check out our Facebook page that we take our work seriously, but we're also a team that enjoys lots of shenanigans. We are always having lots of fun because we have to keep things as light as possible as we can in this heavy and hard work. Um, But how you can reach out to the Safe Center, like I said, find us on Facebook at just The Safe Center. You can find us online, thesafecenter.org. Or you can reach out to us by calling our crisis hotline, 877-952-7283. And that runs 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Perfect. And we will put all of this information in the, I I don't know if it's called the bio, the little notes section for podcasts. (laughs) So I'll put all of that information uh, to get in contact with you. Thank you so very much for being on. I think a lot of people will benefit from this information. And I learned a lot today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Laura. I really appreciate it. This has been a great conversation. And if anyone wants to engage further on this, I'm always happy to talk to folks more, come out and do more education and awareness. Any one of our team members are. So if anyone would like to have us out to do more uh, one-on-one education with their teams, their staff, anybody, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Perfect. And maybe we'll get you back on this podcast in a little while here. Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you. All right. We'll see you. Listen to our podcast uploaded every Monday to gather knowledge on mental health topics that you may be too afraid to ask about. If you or someone you know needs therapy, give Michigan Psychological Care a call. We have options for in-person and telemedicine counseling slash therapy. We have some pretty awesome guests joining us in the next few weeks from topics on differences in psychiatry and therapy, sex and intimacy issues, to existentialism. We are ready to have the conversations most people are too afraid to talk about. Don't miss out. Click the follow and bell button to get notified every time we post. Have any questions or suggestions? Feel free to contact me at lara.huckamacki at ccmcpsych.com. That's L-A-R-A dot H-A-K-A-M-A-K-I at ccmcpsych.com. I know it's terrible. We'll see you next Monday.